It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. From the pitch-perfect skewering of 90s-era pop groups to the goofy charms of the now foursome who comprised the group to the cheeky original songs layered with much snark and inappropriateness, the AJC's Melissa Ruggieri says Girls 5 Eva is possibly the best new show of 2021. And we just learned that it's renewed for a second season. Melissa recently spoke with Jeff Richmond, who is one of the executive producers and songwriters for the series, and she's here to bring us that conversation. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, Shane. So, um, Girls 5 Eva, the the title doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. (laughs) No, it doesn't, but... It's Girls 5 Eva because forever is not long enough is it's really like one of the running uh, jokes okay. of the show. And, and and back in the so let me let me just tell people a little bit about the show in case they are not aware of the, the storyline. It's a it's a Peacock original. So it's one of NBC's, you know, streaming services, right. uh, original shows. It was created by Meredith Scardino, who is a longtime writer for Saturday Night Live. She wrote for The Colbert Report, David Letterman. And she also worked with Tina, Car- Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who have, you know, did 30 Rock and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Mr. Mayor. And they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a partner, they're partners. And then Jeff Richmond is Tina Fey's husband. And he has been a composer for many, many years for, he was on Saturday Night Live for years, did the music for 30 Rock, one of my favorite theme songs of all time, you know, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, the, the, the usuals, you know, the, they all have, they all seem to work together. And then also did the music for Mean Girls on Broadway, which Tina Fey wrote. So there's a lot of history among all these people. And if you like that sensibility of their humor and style, you will really love this show because it is based on a fictional late 90s era girl band, a la Spice Girls type, except US based. And, you know, they had a couple of big hits. They were huge at the time. Then they just disappeared, like most 90s girl bands did. And then recently, in current day, they are now all in their 40s. 
a rapper sampled their big hit from back then, from the 90s. And then that sort of put them back into the spotlight a little bit of, hey, whatever happened to, you know. Right. So they all wind up finding each other again in life and getting back together to, hey, let's try and, you know, ride this wave a little bit and see if we can be a group again. They did lose a member, though. One of the members, Ashley, she unfortunately died in an infinity pool accident. Yeah. <laughs> so. when, I, when I read that, it's like it made me think of the the uh, the ill-fated drummers for Spinal Tap. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a, explode or. Right. It's a lot of that kind of humor. But the thing right. First of all, this show makes me so happy. I, as a matter of fact, there are eight episodes. It, it started in May and I am forcing my husband to only watch one per week, just like you would back in the olden days, yep. <laughs> because I love it so much that I didn't want to binge it. And I did want to watch at least up to the sixth episode before I talked to Jeff Richmond last week. And, you know, so I had an idea of where the storyline was going. And when I talked to him, he actually hadn't heard yet if the if Peacock had renewed it for a second season. But then a few days later, they announced that they had. So I'm so thrilled. And it, it's one of those shows that especially this year that, you know, we've all had coming out of that that dark place of just, you know, misery for a lot of people on very different levels to have something that's just so much fun and so funny and so biting, but not mean-spirited. I mean, some of these songs just have such really clever lyrics and some of them are a little inappropriate in that I did ask Jeff, it's probably a good thing that this isn't on NBC broadcast and it's on Peacock because right. there, are, there are a few song lyrics that, not that they would need to be censored, but it's still just the content of them right. is, are, yeah. are pretty funny. But I think Jeff Richmond is brilliant. And I was like the total fangirl talking to him recently, which, you know, he was so sweet. He's like, Hey, call me anytime and tell me how brilliant I am. It's, you know, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a really funny guy. I, I mean, of course you could see how he and Tina Fey would certainly be a great couple together because he's just really smart and, and just clever in his wordplay and clever in his musical style. Everything always has a sort of whimsical feel to it, but with the music for girls five Eva, they really wanted to create these songs that sounded like songs of the era. Right. And he said, you know, in some ways, the people who wrote those songs back in the day, they left this blueprint of here's the formula, basically, you know, the hook goes here, the, you know, the melody does this and, and, and that kind of stuff. But what I thought was really interesting, and a lot of our conversation was probably a little inside baseball for the average person, but I was so thrilled to be talking to this guy who creates this kind of stuff. Uh, to me, a lot of times those interviews are always my favorite because I love to learn about how something got off the ground floor and what the process was behind it, as opposed to, hey, tell me about this song, you know, that, that kind of right. thing. Um, but, you know, he explained to me how in the beginning, when you, when you watch the show, there are many scenes where there might just be uh, you know, a verse and a chorus of a song. And then, you know, they move on to something else because some of them are songs that the girls supposedly had these big hits within the 90s. And then as the story goes on, they want to write new songs for current day Girls 5 Eva. And so some of them are, you know, snippets of songs that they would be writing now. And he said that he and Meredith Scardino initially only did write these snippets of songs, right. but then they realized that, you know, we Peacock's going to want to put out a soundtrack, so we better finish these. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to go back after they had already shot most of the series and add, you know, finish the songs that they had written a couple months prior and try to remember like, okay, the course goes here and that verse goes there and that kind of thing. And they wound up using them over the end credits for a lot of the shows. So right. you might only hear a bit of it during the actual show, but then if you stick around for the credits, you'll hear the full song. And, you know, they they range from just really kind of funny, ridiculous things that have these, you know, dance pop beats or whatever. But 
the, the kind of their their spotlight moment is this song called New York Lonely Boy. And it was very much inspired by Simon and Garfunkel. And when you hear it, you'll know why. And they wound up getting the Milk Carton kids to perform it on the show who are old friends of Sarah's. And Jeff said that when they were doing the song, of course, again, he had only they had only written a, a verse and a chorus, basically realized eh, we got to stretch this thing out, make it a full song. He did the vocals and said, yeah, no, this is horrible. <laughs> we yeah. can't do this. We need to find somebody. So he talked to Sarah Bareilles and, and uh, you know, she was good friends with the Milk Carton kids. And they wound up doing it. So just to tell people, too, Sarah Bareilles is part of the cast. Right. Yes. <laughs> singer, big singer, songwriter. She's done Broadway, waitress. You know, she certainly, you know, has, has earned her stripes as beyond just being a singer songwriter in, in the acting world as well. Uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry from, you know, Broadway vet. She was in Ham the original cast of Hamilton, who is just hysterical and amazing. Paula Pell, who's been a longtime SNL writer yeah. and just really funny lady. Yeah, just Paula really, Pell really is one of those people that, that you see her and you know who she, you, you've seen her before, but you, you may not be able to, to come up with her name, but you've yep. seen her before. All and then and then when she opens her mouth, you're like, that is a funny I, woman. Yeah. You know, and, and she really goes for it a lot in this because she is the oldest of them in real life. Uh, they they all are trying to, you know, be in the in their 40s-ish, you know, in, in the show. Paul is a little bit older than that. And, you know, she's not as tall and willowy as some of the other girls are. But yeah, she she just goes for those physical comedy jokes and is just really, really funny. And then Busy Phillips. Uh, who's also, you know, really funny comedic actor. So, you know, they they basically have two real singers and two really funny people um, among the cast, but yet Paula and Busy can sing. I mean, they, you know, they they can't sing like Sarah and Renee at least, but right. they could still, they could sing perfectly well enough for the type of songs that they're doing. So it's just, it's just a really fun cast of really talented people who get the joke. And and that's the thing, you kind of have to go into it, you know, getting the joke of what this is all about. And their their quest as the show goes on in this first season is to eventually perform a jingle ball, which is one of those big radio station right. holiday shows in New York, just like we have them here and they're, you know, yeah. in most major cities around the country. And, you know, they're going to do the big Girls 5 Eva reunion <laughs> concert right. at, at Jingle Ball. And, and you know, but but talking to Jeff, it was just cool to hear about just what the, the process was during COVID of having to film some of this stuff and then recording stuff in the studio versus recording it live, you know, on set when, when they were there and really just, you know, what he wanted to, what, what the goal was with, with this music and to make it something that, you know, you, 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 you listen to it, you go, yeah, that's kind of throwaway pop or whatever, but yet it sticks in your head. And, and mm -hmm. even, even these goofy songs, I think have a little bit of lasting power as far as their their melodies and their hooks are concerned all right cool well it sounds great i, I i'm gonna have to watch it now for sure so yes and I, but i want to mention so i so my story also mentions two other shows real quick uh we are lady parts which is also on peacock and that is a very different type of show but yet still a music based show in that it's a it's a british sitcom that is also new it, it just came to the us just a few weeks after it debuted in britain and it's about a a young uh, college muslim student who plays guitar she teaches guitar but she really has stage fright she's not good on stage it'd be like me talking in front of people pretty much is the kind of reaction she has talking on stage or playing on stage and there is a, a band of of muslim women you know girls older girls, women, I guess, uh, who are starting or in this band Lady Parts and they need a guitar player. And just through various happenstances, 
they come across her and she's really reluctant to join because of her stage fright. And they're really reluctant to, some of them are reluctant to have her because she's very straight laced and, you know, she's a P, she's studying her PhD in microbiology and she's also looking for a husband and, and all that, but it's really charming. And there's a lot of, a lot of heart in it. And the music is really funny because they do this really angry punk stuff, like Voldemort under my headscarf. <laughs> it's right. one of the yeah, songs. I'm really excited <laughs> to see that one. That, that one is, I've seen trailers for that and, and that one I'm very excited about. It's yeah. a, it's a really good show. And then starting June 22nd on Netflix is an eight part series called This Is Pop. And that they're, they, took their cue from the ESPN 30, 30 for 30 series that they do. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's not necessarily linear, but each episode does focus on a certain moment or genre in, in pop music. I mean, one is dedicated to how festivals became, you know, the big music thing going back to, you know, Monterey Pop Festival up to Bonnaroo and all the, you know, thousands of pop festivals we seem to have around the country these days. Right. Another is, you know, the, the transition from country to pop with, you know, Shania Twain and Faith Hill and that that whole era and how that became something. And then um, one features uh, is about autotune and talks about just how someone like T-Pain, uh, you know, sometime Atlanta guy, uh, really changed the sound of a, so much music when he started using autotune, even after Cher did it, which was a different thing in pop because T-Pain's use of it sort of changed a path that a lot of music was on and Usher makes a cameo in it. And Usher apparently told him that, you know, dude, you really messed up. That's not the word he uses, but you really messed up music by introducing this. And so, yeah, so all eight episodes, uh, there's a Swedish one that, uh, you know, that one main guy, Benny from, uh, from ABBA sits down for an interview Like he never does interviews. So Yeah. yeah, if no matter really what type of music you're interested in, you could certainly hop around and, you know, zone in on the one that your most most fits your genre requirements but you can watch the other ones too because you learn something (laughs) well that's the more you the more you know shane (laughs) the more you know all right well well great well um well thanks for uh bringing this to us and uh, i guess uh, now we're going to uh hear from jeff richmond thanks melissa sounds good thanks hello melissa jeff hi how are, hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm I'm just fine, thanks. Thanks, thanks for asking. And hey, thanks so much for taking time to chat with me today. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work, and I'm really happy that we're going to get to talk about the current show and other stuff that you've done and just your your general brilliance. <laughs> oh, that's very, that's very kind. This is a great way to start an interview. <laughs> right. You are the best ever. Fantastic. No, but seriously. I, but, but if I do, you would I, come on and said... Some of your some of your lesser uh, more mediocre <laughs> work and some of your better work horrible way to start an interview. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Who are you, lady? But I, I, I do. But I love the I love the whimsical sound that I, I think has become sort of a hallmark of your shows. And uh, my colleague and I did a, a story recently about our favorite TV theme songs. And Thirty Rock is really my top five of all time. I think it's just amazing. But, but. Oh. With with this with this show with Girls Five Eva, you, you really can kind of stretch the silliness. I think you know a little bit more than stuff you've done in the past. And like when when did you start working on the songs in relation to when the episodes were filmed? Like what was sort of the the meeting point with those two things? Uh, I think that's a really interesting question because um, you know television moves so quickly to start with, right? Because uh, uh, writers are in a room, they write things that you get things very, you get lyrics for songs when there are songs very quickly and you have to turn them around at least for a read through in a matter of oh, certainly overnight is the most you're ever going to get. And then, um, 
people have to sing it the next day. And then usually you are trying to record it and get it set up for a week or so later. Now with this show, we were starting to shoot uh, in the middle of, of COVID and mm-hmm. the way things were shut down. So that even altered the way uh, we would normally even step into a schedule myself. I just remember at the end of, I think in, in September, I was going, oh, we're not going to start this thing. I'm just going to sit back. There's no way we're going to be filming right. in October with the way things were looking. But guess who, guess what? Who was the fool standing in the middle of the field? It was me. <laughs> so because they, they started, they, uh, you know, uh, Peacock and Universal, they figured out the protocols to actually get in and begin working. Uh, and uh, I, think the, I think in the very beginning of this, uh, you know, there was only the fir- in the first episode, there was a few lines of a song that was supposed to be their hit song. It was basically mm-hmm. the, uh, gonna be famous five ever, score ever, three short, da 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 da. And then, and then a few rogue uh, couplets that were just kind of thrown in, uh, which happens a lot. And uh, I just remember it getting, we're getting ready, you know, a week, a week or two from shooting, and I had to go to Meredith. I said, Meredith, we have to, we got to at least write this song because we need it so that it can be deconstructed. De- into a into a rap song that's got to sound very legitimate. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I took that away, and I, I think the, that first song I kind of lyricked it out and wrote it just so that we had what we needed to be able to deconstruct and become the sample for the uh, you know for the lineup for the little speaker right. song. But I guess it, to answer your question, uh, you don't have much time in advance to be shooting things because the writers are always barely just a few steps ahead of of shooting and in, mm-hmm. in production. Uh, and when you give that and you take that and given the uh, what the needs of actually trying to produce it in a way or your demo demoing it in a way where your actors can sing it on the set or sing it in a recording recording mm-hmm. studio, it's all very, very tight. So it's not like, oh, we got all the all the scripts in August. I, I was I just luxuriously sat around my studio and wrote tons of songs and different versions <laughs> and different bridges. Uh, it's it is no time for anything to be precious. It's all working really, really, really quickly. Um, all the time, just kind of all the time. <laughs> well, that, that, that's kind of what I was wondering, especially with COVID being, you know, you guys doing this right at, at the end of, well, you know, well, not the end of COVID, but toward last fall. Um, yeah. How much of how much of the recording was able to be done in a studio versus what what was sung on set you know during the actual episodes? Oh, we knew I knew we went in that I that just because of protocol and safety that uh, it would be great if we weren't singing a lot on the floor, even though we we, we were safe enough to do that. So we were trying to get as much stuff pre-recorded in the can as we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so before I think during the first week of actually shooting. Uh, I was able to get a few things in, in the can, as they say, mm-hmm. but not that many and not enough. To, like, I think through the first three episodes, I was able to get in. Uh, and then after that, the, the schedule was uh, was such that we could never get another hiatus with a long enough break right. until this until December. And I was able to get a couple more things in the can. So other than that, it was really, it was really uh, trying to... Uh, get things up on the floor on the day and so a lot of that stuff is is sung for is, is sung for real you know what i mean like we did yeah. it was sung live on the floor against mm-hmm. the track with an earpiece to monitor mm-hmm. stuff well it In helps when you cases, it helps when you have talented singers too <laughs> what's that Say it, again. It, it, it helps when you have talented singers too it well for sure I, I that was one thing that i uh i did know if i was doing this with a bunch of 
of people that I'm quotation that were singers mm-hmm. <laughs> that were hired singers, <laughs> right. but they were just mostly really funny, whatever, or, or actors. So well, I don't know that we could have pulled off hardly anything that we were able to do with these guys, but they were super talented and also super willing and gung ho and had such a good time that they were very happy. You know, another thing I can say about that too, is that because of this COVID and, um, I just remember that whenever we were singing something live on the floor with Sarah or Renee or any of the girls, just that the whole crew would, would just, they would stop and someone would cry because they hadn't been, they hadn't been exposed to any kind of people doing music and yeah. everybody is still, and people are still in trauma from the, you know, from the sure. pandemic anyway. So sure. there was a yeah. lot of, yeah, you know. You actually, you actually were, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you were able to have, you know, a, a personal concert basically on, on set, yeah. which is, which is kind when of a cool sit, thing. Yeah. Sarah Renee at the piano, and now they're going to sing this little Frank Lesser song called Heart and Soul, which right. is a sweet little song. And yeah. then everybody on the floor is, are wiping tears from their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. It's like, I remember what that sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, when, when you were writing the, you know, the theme song and so many other hits of the girls glory days, uh, I'm using air quotes too, while I'm talking, um, okay. which, gotcha. um, which nine, I, I know, I know a lot of Spice Girls and Destiny's Child, um, what kind of factored into the inspiration behind some of them, but how, how much listening did you have to do to really nail that type of process, but yet fun bubblegum catchy sound? Uh, you know, it's, um, I, I wish I could say that I was, that I was this kind of musicologist geek that really dug deep into it. I listened to uh, quite a bit of the people that you said, and that's all, you know, and in the day I listened to them a lot. And also because I worked yeah. at Saturday Night Live, I had to listen to everything that was current at the time because that job is, oh, we need this to sound like, this has got to sound like, uh, you know, uh, in sync and I need it in an hour. Well, then you kind of have to know what was what was in everybody's toolbox at the time so you could pull that together pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, I, I remember going back and re-listening to that, that same, same groups of band. And then, and then also knowing that, because I wanted to, to sound, have a real legitimate sound, you know, I don't want it to be jokey. I want these things to sound like mm-hmm. real uh, radio play earworms. I also had a great, I had a great staff. I have a, a great uh, additional arranger who just knows, uh, well, no, we need to use this synthesizer here. And, mm-hmm. oh, no, I think we should use an arpeggiator here. But, uh, you know, and it's, I, I think what you're doing there on the on the roads isn't right. It should be this sound. So, and his name is Hanan Rubenstein. He's another genius. And he was my mixer and my additional arranger on this. So knowing well, that, uh, then I had another 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 person in the mix was also super helpful in finding those kind of yeah. finding those sounds quickly without having to just study everything they were doing. One thing I'll say about that is that you know those guys left a great all those guys that wrote whatever song they were doing whatever style they leave you a roadmap they leave you mm-hmm. you know all you do you listen to them and you go oh they're using this 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 is the the chord progression and the hook that. Right. was popular then i'm going to aim for that and what you kind of hope you're going to do is take that and then bend it a little bit more to make it feel a little bit more like you've added a little bit of something to it mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that makes you want to listen to it <laughs> uh, uh, and if you can do that then i think that uh, you can be happy with it and feel like oh this feels catchy this feels catchy to me maybe it'll feel catchy to somebody else yeah well and, and you know having covered music even back during that that trl period hearing those songs now you know they're they're 
their flashbacks in a in a really good way. <laughs> wow, this would have yeah, been a great I hit agree. back in '99. <laughs> yeah, great, totally agree. Well, the words know, might have been bubble dummy and everything, and but and or whatever they were doing, mm-hmm. but they were they got, got in you. They were they were right. doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They right. They got your attention, and you felt it felt fun listening to them. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, you know. You look at bands now, like the Backstreet Boys, or if the Spice Girls go back out on the road, or whatever. And the these mm-hmm. songs still hold up. They have pretty strong hooks and melodies. And you honestly can't say that about a lot of current music compared to back then. So I mean, they were doing something right. They they were finding that formula that even now, yeah. you know, twenty years later, you can sort of recreate in a in a fresh way. Yeah, you know, I can go back. I have two daughters who, um, yeah. who are like 15 and 9, and mm-hmm. now going back and, and redigging through some of these things and playing around the house again. Oh, they're all big, you know, they're all, oh, these are great. I love listening yeah. to these. I love listening to them. My one daughter's like, is now, you know, a Fleetwood Mac, uh, mm-hmm. you know, aficionado, you know, like <laughs> those songs, no matter how far you go back, the, right. the people who are writing good music, it just, it, it does, it does hold up. Yep, yep, yep. Well, you in the show, you've got these the fully formed songs, you know, New York Lonely Boy, Space Boys, but then you you have something like Rekindling, which is probably just as much work <laughs> for and, and so much and just as much creativity, but then there's a much shorter payoff in the episode. So do, do were you and Meredith writing everything as a full song or did some start as, okay, we're just going to use this in part of a scene. So, you know, just give us a verse and a chorus and we're good. Or how did that exactly. sort of play out? Yeah, it, it was exactly b uh <laughs> we actually did we had very few falling songs even halfway at, at, in the season uh hmm. and the reason that we the reason that we and, and even though that we had spoken at the very beginning of the season that was sarah and renee and everybody on here and hmm. kind of the the, the uh, you know the kind of the popularity of people putting soundtracks out of television shows and i we had never done one in kimmy schmidt and we should have and i said meredith right. people sarah's singing on this there's going to be an expectation Mm-hmm. So we started going like, well, we're, we're, we can't just have a bunch of 30 second songs, but this didn't seem like there was ever going to be that many falling songs actually written within the script. So about halfway during the season, when we actually were starting the editing process, we realized, well, maybe we could use the real estate that's at the end, the end credits mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. series, uh, and we, would be, we could lay in falling songs there. So we mm-hmm. started to write those, but we wrote the falling songs very late, like... Uh, uh, the, certainly after we were done with, with all the primary shooting and then shooting was done and everything was in the can is when we, and we were actually doing the final edits mm-hmm. and final mixing on the episodes, we were beginning to write full length songs for some of the ones we had had snippets of in the beginning, uh, which is another challenge, you know, because yeah. then you've got half of it recorded right. and now you're going to go back and get people back in and record the other two, two thirds of a song. And you have to take those songs and you have to like take, you have to craft them now like, oh, well, we are committed that this one snippet of a song is uh, a chorus. So now mm-hmm. what are the verses? I, I can think of Space Boys, which was right. really a snippet. And we decided, well, what's the rest of this ridiculous song? Meredith figures it out. It was just a journey. That's a weird song because it's a, I, I, somebody tell me what it is. It's kind of a, it's kind of a club beat Mm-hmm. Shaw Day, David Bowie, Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. um, Days in Space, SNL thing. Like it's just got this, this uh, bizarre uh, amalgam somehow. But that's just because oh, it's written that way after the fact. 
Well, I, I would really like to see the rest of the Space Boys video. <laughs> oh, <laughs> me too. Because that was just a, wanna, that was just a tease there. That right, right. <laughs> right. With, um, with New York Lonely Boy, how did you get the Milk Carton kids involved in recording that? Oh, they're old friends from like 10 years ago uh, with Sarah, with Sarah Bareilles. Oh, okay. And so in that same, in that same um, as we were just referencing, what we were just talking about writing full-length songs after the fact, we had we were cutting the episode that had the the, the shorter version of New York Lonely Boy in the episode, and for the longest time it was just as, as most of these songs exist at the beginning, just me in my ridiculous voice doing all the vocals, mm-hmm. and then at some point we got to you know we're going to stand out. Uh, and on that particular one, it was we were mixing and go, oh my gosh, we we need to get the real vocal on it. We got to find somebody. And I said, well, at the same time, this would be the one we should go ahead and quickly rewrite write the rest of the song. So Meredith and I wrote the rest of the song real quick. I uh, didn't know who was going to sing it. Uh, I called Sarah. Sarah said, uh, Milk Carton Kids, who I, I knew of, and I went back and listened to them. I said, they're perfect. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. called them like on a Friday night, and they were into it. And we started to send them all tracks and materials and everything. And they, they uh, did their cover of it the following week. They worked really quickly in there. Yeah, like yeah. they you couldn't find anybody more perfect to cover anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, unless you could get Simon, maybe maybe if you got Simon and Garfunkel to come back, but <laughs> right, right. If I could, if I could call Paul, I, I think yeah, I think Paul's in uh, in Hawaii or something. Anyway, so um, not even tricky. But, that would have uh, been that would have been something, right? Perfect. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's such a, it's such a great song. It really, really. I mean, and that's the thing I love about the music is that they really the songs do stand on their own, even if you take them out of the context of of the show. Um, with um, with working with Sarah on I'm Afraid. Uh, I mean, how much input does she or Renee or how, how much input did they have given their songwriting oh. backgrounds? Did you do much with them? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it, as we. It, it, it depends on where we were in the season and how things were moving along. You know, we knew that the narrative and I knew that we, in the beginning it was going to be us really being the, I'm putting quotes around, the music producer for the music industry. Mm-hmm. And this, this is all going to sound like it's coming from, it's coming from, um, you know, the, the, the industry, the industry and, and the right. stuff is really pat for, for them. But that, uh, as the story progressed, and, and Sarah's character of Dawn begins to find her own voice and wants to write songs, mm-hmm. but they're going to, they were going to have to evolve and change a little bit. So about halfway through in the season and particularly with the, I'm afraid song mm-hmm. that went with, we really wanted to reach into Sarah a lot. So I remember the night before the reading, I said, Sarah, I hear the words, you know, and I'm hearing it's something like this. And it's this chord shows over and over. And I sang this ridiculous thing, and she said, yeah, "That's great. I'm gonna take it." And then she took it, and then she sang her melodic thing over that. Mm. So it's all oh, that's a lot. That's so much her. That is just mm-hmm. that's just Sarah knowing how her voice, how how her voice is um, phrases particular lyrics and, and and lines, and they and that's what makes it sound really honest and lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I looked at that at that song and said. Um, and it, it, she she found a way to phrase certain things that weren't rhymes in what Meredith right. laid out. But right, then right. she would elongate a particular word or phrase just looking, which is the songwriter in her, in right. the comedy guy in me, like, well, I didn't have that. But she like <laughs> really finds, okay, I'm going to rhyme this and I'm going to make the next thing be, you know, eight counts later so that this next one rhymes with it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. she really, 
she really found the phrasing in the, in the melodic on that. And then, uh, yeah, and then we worked more and more. And if we made it a longer song, uh, I just knew I said, it's just going to be strange to build, build like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, MacArthur Park or something. <laughs> it's just got to get huge <laughs> and then get small again. Um, but then I said, I, I, I made it, it's just got to be the same. It's like, an, it's like the way anxieties are in your soul. Like, it doesn't right. change. It just, it, it's the same four bars over and over. Right. So, right. But she, her doing that and then her taking the reins on Four Stars, mm-hmm. which would be the song that kind of arcs the story to get us to the, sure. the end of the first season, I think really gave it a real verisimilitude as far as like, oh, this feels truthful. This feels like a, yeah. you know, a, a truthful music world. It, and then to have, you know, Busy's character be the one that actually inspired it after <laughs> after huh? go, being she's, banished. She's just like a Shakespearean <laughs> clown. You know? Right, like, right. Oh, that's the dumb one. Oh, yeah. she's the, the smart thing. Okay, I get it. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny. When uh, when I first heard Dream Girlfriends, I thought, you know, this is probably a good example why the show, it's better that the show is on Peacock rather than on NBC proper, because you can probably get away <laughs> with a little bit more uh, on, on streaming than you would if it were on, on network, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. But network network is, is still tricky to this day. It's still yeah. like, it's very protective of who's watching at 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. And, uh, where Peacock is still a little bit of the, uh, the new frontier, you know, mm-hmm. as all these streaming services are. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, you know, I noticed your daughter was in one of the episodes. Um, is she is she following the family tradition of of doing something in front of a camera or, or oh, even who, behind who, the camera? My daughter, yeah, uh, Martina's daughter. Yeah, yeah she, is she? She that came about uh, when we uh, a little bit. I, I'll say a little bit. She came about when we knew that oh, there's going to be a part for a nine year old uh-huh. in this. My daughter, if our daughter found out that she wasn't able to audition for it, she would have been <laughs> insane. And so we did not. We let her audition, and, uh, and she ended up being the best one. Uh, yeah. Several circumstances, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she did well. She did. Yeah. No, it was yeah. a cute little. It was a cute little role. There you go. Yeah. Cute yeah. little thing. And you know, have, you know, at that time too, it's like it's COVID. Kids are not in right. school, or they're not like it's like oh why. Let, let her have a little joy if, if exactly. it works out, if she's good enough. Yeah. Exactly. And if you know, and if mom and dad are going to be hanging around the set anyway, mine as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. We'll get you there. You already, you already got a you already got a ride, so right. <laughs> I mean, just bring her along. Why not? Stick her in the back seat. Right. Um, when might you hear about a second season? Well, I'm hope hopefully at uh, at any point. <laughs> that yeah. They, so they, they yeah. let people know. Yeah. And so they, they don't have a schedule new, so much. And I think they're yeah. figuring out mm-hmm. what they're doing next. Well, as I was mentioning uh, to Nicole before you hopped on, I, I can't thank you guys all enough for creating such something that's just makes me, me people like me so happy <laughs> during, especially during this time. And I haven't even watched the last two episodes yet because my husband and I are watching them almost like normal people old days because I don't want oh, to God. watch them. I, I don't want to watch them all. I don't want them to go. God away. Bless you. I, I agree. That's how I, that's how I do it now too. If I'm watching something, I try to, oh, I'm going to wait till next Thursday. Yeah. The it, next one. But yeah, that's nice. and I'm glad uh, that it's a joyful thing because I think that was one of the things that we were looking for, looking to do, or at least hoping that would come out of this whole thing. Is that oh, we were all coming out of this dark tunnel and it's light, and we created this thing in a dark tunnel, knowing that we would come out with light at the end of it. So 
I know that's a lot of esoteric. <laughs> I know, but it's but true. I find it true. Like here yeah. we are, and now we have these delightful ladies, mm-hmm. you know, singing these delightful songs, and they're all so funny. So yeah, yeah. Well, Enjoy. hey, uh, thank, thank you, thank you so much, and thank you for everything you've done. Like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of of all your work, and uh, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate being able to to talk to you more today. So you're you're very kind, and anytime <laughs> you want to call and, and talk about my work, please. All do. right. I, I will hold you to that, Jeff. Thank you. All right. Very All good. right. All right. Take thanks. care. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. On July 6, 2020, as the nation reeled from video of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the subsequent protests that roiled cities around the world, Time Magazine ran a searing cover image capturing the moment. A painting of a young black girl in silhouette led the double issue. It was titled, America Must Change. As the protest churned and slowly died down, Atlanta artist Charlie Palmer was working on that portrait in her eyes in his West End studio. He'd been commissioned by Time's artistic director to render an image that could capture the seminal moment in the nation's history. You can see that painting and more of Palmer's work in a retrospective titled Departure at the newly reopened Hammond's House Museum and read about the artist's work and career in Rosalind Bentley's story on AJC.com. Tickets to the rescheduled production of Hamilton being presented August 22nd through September 26th at the Fox Theater will go on sale Thursday, July 8th at 10 a.m. This Pulitzer Prize-winning theatrical retelling of the story of founding father Alexander Hamilton was last performed in Atlanta during a three-week run in 2018. A restaging plan for the summer of 2020 was scuttled by the coronavirus. This rescheduled run will be for five weeks instead of three. Get all of the details on AJC.com. Alexander Calder's 23-foot standing mobile, three up, three down, guarded the front lawn of the High Museum of Art for 25 years, swinging its bright red and yellow colors in front of the pristine white canvas of the Richard Meyer Building. On loan from the Calder Foundation, it became so closely associated with the High Museum that the front lawn looked slightly naked when the sculpture was returned to the Foundation in 2014. Now the kinetic artist is back at the High in a big way, as part of a new exhibit pairing works by Calder with works by Pablo Picasso. The two artists came from different worlds and rarely met or spoke, but Calder Picasso, curated by their grandsons, finds some striking echoes in their ideas. Get a look at what to expect from this new exhibition in Bo Emerson's story on AJC.com. In his quarter century at the job, postal clerk Russell Lewis attracted the kind of fan club that's unusual for a government employee. But all good things must come to an end. Lewis is retiring. Last week, Lewis was toasted by a crowd of more than 100 Avondale Estates residents as he celebrated his last day at work. Find out what made him so beloved by his community in Bo Emerson's story on AJC.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.